Raleigh James Show. So I'm watching TV last night, and a couple people in Los Angeles are just stunned that their property could be taken through eminent domain for a hotel. And I say to myself, where the hell were you when this was a Supreme Court issue two months ago? And I bring this up only because we think that people are aware. They are blissfully unaware, and frankly, they want to keep it that way until the wolf is at their door, which brings us all to illegal immigration and what's going on in Congress. And you look at how that vote went in the Judiciary Committee and what they're discussing right now in our government halls, and you say to yourself, i got to be missing something. There's got to be a bigger picture here. And, of course, I always go right to conspiracy. And, boy, have we got the grand unified conspiracy theory tonight. You're going to love this. But one thing we've been talking about off the air, and we'll talk more about it tomorrow, is, you know, you had half a million people in Los Angeles, and a lot of the drivers have been saying, what can we do? So I've been thinking about maybe having the uh, mother truck and SOB rally secure our borders. But uh, I haven't figured out exactly how yet. So we'll... uh, We'll talk more about that and uh, uh, maybe get Bozo and Nemo if they're interested in on this. But uh, we'll confer tomorrow night. But for now, I think the bigger question still is, and John asks this all the time when he's screening your calls and listening to all this. He, he, he comes and he says to me, well, why would they do that in all sincerity? Because after all, when you're talking about eliminating the borders and when you're, when you're talking about clearly ignoring the rule of law, you say there's got to be a bigger picture. And so it was that uh, Butch in Missouri said, have I got the guy for you, and boy, was he right. You can check out a website. Here you go, www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com, just like it sounds, and I'll uh, put a link to it on my site as well. And then you'll know all about Alan Watt. But in the meantime, meet him. Hello, Alan. Hello. I'm delighted you've uh, chosen to join us. No, oh, it, was, uh, it was very nice to have the offer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's interesting because, as I was just saying, and I think it's true, most people who start to study what's happening government-wise start to think that there's got to be a bigger picture I'm missing. And this is where you come in because I understand you've spent a lot of time studying it start to finish. Yes, I have, yeah. Yes, uh, you know, today we, we see some of the symptoms, mm-hmm. but, you know, we can look at the Council of Foreign Relations or the Bilderbergs or all these kind of things, but we, uh, we can wonder why we have a Federal Reserve and why it isn't Federal nor a Reserve. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's, let's go back to, well, I, I don't know whether to start at the beginning or whether to ask you right off what's behind this push to eliminate our borders. So what's mm-hmm. your preference? Okay, um, the, the first reference to uh, a world order uh, was made by John Dee, who was the official advisor to Queen Elizabeth I in the 1500s. And this man um, coined the, the, the phrase or the term, the, 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 the British Empire. He was the first one to suggest the term, the name. And what he suggested was that uh, a, a world system be set up through trade initially which would then bind laws together to do with trade and since everything runs on economics then ultimately they would standardize the same cultural system throughout the world Uh, this went um, into action actually very early on with the British East India Company which um, was not only in India they went into India initially which was a conglomerate of small princedoms 
they armed certain people, they put provocateurs in, they had them all fighting each other, and then Britain came in to save the day, saying, you can't go on like this, you see, we, ha we have to have peace. So Britain uh, uh, bestowed peace by taking over the country. Uh, that was the, the way it was done. Um, you know, this is so funny you're saying that, of course, because uh, they haven't changed their tactics one iota. Uh, mm -hmm. They give us globalism through things like NAFTA and CAFTA and the WTO. Yeah. And, of course, we're, we're hell-bent to uh, fix the world through going in and attacking countries. But, you know, interesting, the 1500s, I, I thought we were practically going to go back to Adam. Now, mm -hmm. in the 1500s, mm -hmm. I would assume at that time most places were still kingdoms. Yes, there's a lot of small princedoms, uh, kingdoms, really families that, that built up and taken over a certain area, and uh, small kingdoms, really. But yeah, in India, of course, they've been run for such a long time by the, the Aryans, they call themselves, that moved in uh, maybe a thousand BC and took over from the Dravidian people who'd lived there. And they were a caste system, really, the, the Aryans of, of pure bloods. Right. And over a period of time, uh, they, were, they were actually forbidden to interbreed with the darker peoples. Mm -hmm. And that's why today, because of the, of the gradual interbreeding of this elite, you have the actual caste system of India, right down to the untouchables at the bottom, right. uh, who are trained, that's your place. And, and they gave them a religion which uh, backed all of this up called reincarnation to make sure that, well, you were born this way, it's your, it's your karma, so just be a slave, you see. Right, and you'll, you'll get to next time maybe be a prince. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that, that's interesting. And, of course, I was just reading recently that the caste system, which is still alive and well, they're, they're finally removing the sanctions from intermarrying in the caste. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, to this day there. Now, so uh, it probably wasn't hard to rile up the troops, as, as you say, mm -hmm. to arm them. And isn't that a chilling thought? To cause uprisings to where Britain would have to go save the day. That's right. And then once Britain had taken over parts of India, they would then make regiments of those Indians. They could recruit into the sepoy regiments, all Indian, and the Sikhs, and then use them against non-Sikhs in another province, you see. That was the technique of using the Brit And the same technique was used by the Romans. Uh, earlier, really. Yeah, because the Romans that, that brought came into England, and most of the troops they'd recruited from Germany, the Albani tribe, and that's the ones they used to, to come into England. So it keeps the heat off the, of the real power behind the throne, you might say, by the people fighting uh, Albanis or Germany mm -hmm. um, and leaving Rome alone. It's quite the technique. And yeah. so the internal strife in India, for instance, was directed against tribes and, uh, eventually at each other. And they forgot that, that Britain was behind it all. <laughs> right, right. And Britain could come out like the White Knight saving the day yeah. from the uh, war. Now, of course, what's chilling about that is what we have right now uh, with the uh, illegal immigrants we're talking about legalizing and all that. It makes you wonder what, whether we're setting up class warfare in America. You are. Uh, and it's been written about, in fact, by the boys who helped design it. Um, I'd suggest your readers could can find, if they can find a copy of this book, it's by uh, the, the, the French Kissinger. He was called Jacques Attali, uh, that, which is A-T-T-A-L-I. Okay. And Jacques is J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. And um, he really was the, the prime Kissinger mover behind the European Union. Okay. Uh, he eventually worked for the United Nations. The subtitle of his book, well, the, the title of his book was called... Um, 
uh, uh, millennium. The subtitle was called Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order, published in 1990. And he knew the whole format. He was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. He was a member of, of the Bilderbergers, a member of um, the Trilateral Commission, uh, all the United Nations at uh, top level security clearance and so on. Well, he said that uh, uh, now that uh, Britain has basically been uh, almost unified, it wasn't completely unified when he wrote the book, he said the next one to go will be America. And he said the borders must come down and will come down under free trade, the guise of free trade. Mm -hmm. But when you study this agenda of free trade, going back, as I say, to the 1500s by John Dee, mm -hmm. uh, who first started it, uh, it's not just free trade, and this is written into the free trade agreement of the Americas and NAFTA. It's a free flow of goods. Now, it's authorized goods only. In other words, it's not for everyone. Right. But also it says, and the free flow of labor between countries. Mm-hmm. You see? Now, Jack Zatali goes on to say that, that, that uh, there'll be chaos for a while in America. As he said, that initially the gangs will come up from South America, similar to the Huns who invaded Rome and okay. brought it down. That's happened with MS-13 big time. Yes, and then he said this will cause a backlash of America who will demand that something be done uh -huh. about it. The military will then step in, the politicians get in on the act, and of course we come, down comes the borders, and you find you have a brand new continent. Now, of course, the CFR has been, as you probably well know, uh, very uh, uh, open lately about saying that the borders of uh, America and Canada, or United States and Canada and United States and Mexico, will be mm -hmm. down by 2010. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think they'll make it? Yes, they will make it, because last year on, on the Canadian national television, which is a, uh, called the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, last uh, March, I think it was the 27th, during the, the Terry Schiavo thing, which was really hyped up to get everybody involved in this emotive controversy, right. uh, there's a three-minute uh, agreement, signing agreement, shown on our television of President Bush, uh, Prime Minister Martin of Canada, and Vicente Fox signing the unification of the Americas deal. Right, and you know, I mentioned that every time they go for, and you're absolutely right, an emotional hot button, you know, be it some abortion issue or Terry Schiavo or anything that causes people's heartstrings to tug. Uh, right now, I love the way on television here, you probably don't have it as much there, but this Natalie Holloway disappearance in Aruba, uh -huh. it's uh, every minute, uh, you know, you think she was Karen Homolka or something when that was going on yep. there, mm -hmm. uh, where uh, everybody's glued to the screen and. Uh, things are passing behind our back. Yes, that's right. That's always the, the way. And I knew when Terry Shiva was being built up because they pulled us out the bag before, a year before. And yet they, they hadn't killed her then, so they, they kept it on hold for another year, brought it up at the right time, and then showed us this two or three minute clip. I taped it. I had my tape ready for it on television. And I got the, 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 I got the part where a reporter for global television stood up in front of the three uh, amigos, they call them. Right. And he said, this sounds like the unification of Europe. Is it the same thing? And Paul Martin said, well, it's not quite the big bang, meaning the whole thing. And then George Bush stepped and he couldn't help himself. Sure. And he said, he said, uh, he said, well, what's wrong with that? He said, what's wrong with free trade and free movements of people and free this and all that, you see? 
and uh, and so it is it is the unification that five more meetings to sign the agreements last year and it's a done deal and so do they have a date on it uh, they want it basically un- done by 2010 Right, but no, no specific date for the ribbon-cutting ceremony. No, they're, they're keeping the pulse on the people to see how dumbed down and distracted we are. Yeah. Right, and right now there's a little blip on the landscape here because there are significant numbers of people who are aghast at what the Senate put forth. And, and you know, I think to an extent Vicente Fox has overplayed his hand because he's, uh, his minions were the ones who were saying that our Senate would not be so foolhardy to listen to the voters as the mm-hmm. House did. Yes. So, uh, you know, I, I think in his best answer she could have saved that comment because now, of course, there's a number of us who are intently staring at the Senate and they've uh, they've rolled over completely on us. I'm not surprised. I I listened to to the Senate uh, speech that was given by a a British, a high... Actually, he was the head of the Knights Templar Association of London, Uh and his name was James Goldsmith. Uh Sir James Goldsmith. He went over and he he gave a... It's interesting that these guys can walk onto the Senate floor as as an equal member because it's a Masonic-type floor, you see. And... um, and he gave a tremendous speech, which I also have a tape of. And he said quite openly, he says, look, he says, I was for this a, a unification of, of Europe all along until I realized what the real agenda behind it. And he, he said, it's not good for the people. There'll be no semblance of, of, of sovereignty whatsoever, he said, when the new parliament takes over. And he said, you, through the NAFTA deal, will go the same way. He mentioned all the, the job losses, the chaos of immigrants flooding into Britain and different countries and 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 it was a tremendous he, this was a, a true orator this man trained yeah. and, and yet and the, the senators you hear different replies from different ones all agreeing with them and yet they went all voted for it uh, for, right. the, for the same deal thing, right they're giving it lip service and all that and yep. of course you know you can ask anyone in Great Britain right now I mean like individuals who've been arrested for selling things by the pound rather oh. than centric, uh, you know mm-hmm. it's uh, it's insane and of course that's that's real small stuff compared to the totalitarianism that is you know falling into place so Alan Watt is with us he's uh, researched this as you can tell from the 1500s so I want to pick up more historically and you know interweave it with where we are right now because if you've been saying you know there, there's got to be more than meets the eye you're about to uh, find out that oh yeah It's the Raleigh James Show. Let me mention Spotters, the world's best sunglass. No conspiracy about this. Made in Australia originally and to this day. Optical quality glass and they eliminate glare. They do exactly what they say they'll do. Now, of course, people think, you know, sunglasses, sunlight, and it'll be better, right? Well, that's fine. Except when a great pair of sunglasses eliminates glare, what you get is the ability to see through daytime rain, fog, or snow. I won't say like it isn't there, but I will say things will be in your field of vision you otherwise could not see, and shapes and other things that you could not make out or that were hard to handle will come into perspective in a way that you're just not expecting it, especially the penetrator lens. The penetrator lens is just tremendous. You will you will love it. But, as I talk about it all the time, your eyes need to prove me right. You need to see these things. And you can do that. Go to spotters-shades.com 
and you'll see all about the technology. And, of course, you can buy them online. But you'll also see a list of places where you can try them on. And the newest one to enter the fold is the USA Travel Center, which is Kingman, Arizona. A lot of people ask for I-40. You got it. Exit 48 right there at Highway 93. Big exit. Big travel center. Check them out. Of course, Iowa 80 and Kenley 95 and a lot of Petros and a ton of Peterbilts and so much more. You can see all about it at spotters-shades.com. Ten different lens styles, but I want you to try the Penetrator lens. Now, if all else fails, a call for the new brochure, and they've got one, 866-NOGLARE, 866-N-O-G-L-A-R-E. And you remember to tell them that Raleigh sent you. If you're starting to think there's more behind our government than what you're being told, you're in the right place. The Raleigh James Show. And, of course, we had to use the summer kids from Ireland as a bumper since Ireland recently wrote to America and said, look, if you're giving amnesty, we want it, too. <laughs> got to love that. All right, Alan Watt is with us and will be all night kind enough to uh, visit uh, and uh, hopefully fill us in on enough of the behind-the-scenes stuff. You can check out his website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And it's worth seeing. All right, so 1500, here's John D. He gets this idea, and we, we see exactly what's happening with the British East India Company. Now, uh, after him, what comes next? Uh, then they went into action right away, basically forming uh, the British East India Company, which was mainly consisted, well, consisted of royalty and nobility and the aristocracy who had uh, shares in it. Um, what they wanted to do was to set up a future world, uh, including the Americas, where they would train their own leaders. And Elihu Yale, who was one of the founding members of the British East India Company, donated the money for the Americas to set up the university there. At Yale University, huh? And he said, from there, our future leaders will be taught uh, this great work, uh, this system. They call it the great work. Uh, and and it says this system to come. All the leaders would come from there, and those who were initiated would be um, uh, pushing the agenda forward generation by generation. Kind of brings us to skull and bones, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, exactly, and Yale University. And isn't it uh, interesting that uh, there are so many, shall we say, coincidences, not hardly. Yes. So uh, now we're... And it's also interesting that in the 1500s, they're already looking toward the Americas when, you know, they, they really haven't even been there for the most part. Mm -hmm. But they're, uh, they're eyeing it, I guess, because it's not heavily populated and not heavily colonized at mm -hmm. that point. That's right. Interesting. All right, mm -hmm. so we got to Alan Watt, and we will uh, we'll pick it up there, and uh, we've uh, got a whole night of this. And so Yale's already in the picture, and we're only a half hour into the show, all right? You bet you the Council of Foreign Relations is coming and everything else. So, yes, it absolutely ties into what's going into the Senate. The question becomes, is there anything that anyone can do about it at this point? And I guarantee you we'll get there, too, coming up tonight right here on the Raleigh James Show. Paranoid to the max. The Raleigh James Show. Better. And yeah, we got a lot of questions. So we're getting answers tonight from Alan Watt. He is the author of the Cutting Through series, and you can find out more on his website, www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com. So we talked about the genesis of uh, at least modern days conspiracies, if you will, from the uh, 1500s, and we got to Elijah Yale, and Skull and Bones obviously came from, uh, from that. 
So clearly, as the colonists were coming over, uh, that uh, that had to be a true opportunity for Great Britain. And then we have this Revolutionary War. Did it come out the way they wanted it to? I personally think it did. Mm-hmm. I really think that the, the United States, you see, <clears throat> they used the trick in Europe for hundreds and hundreds of years where the same royal families uh, of all the countries, they were, they were all related to each other. And the only way you can keep government over the people and have the people pay taxes to keep the armies going is if you have wars with someone else. Mm-hmm. And so you had never-ending wars between Britain, France, and all the other countries. And uh, the kings and queens were never touched, of course. They always survived, and, and they all profited from the wars. They kept the populations of the peoples down as well. And, and they stayed in power, uh, saying, well, if you get us out of power, there's no one left to protect you from those guys over there. Yeah, which is terrific. And just as you're saying, not touching the royalty, I, I do remember reading when the uh, Queen of Portugal hid out in Brazil for years during their wars. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, whatever it took not to be uh, scathed themselves, go for it. So, yes, mm-hmm. we were, uh, that, that's what I had thought, too, that uh, ma- making us uh, a sovereign nation was probably ultimately at the time in their best interest. But, of course, today, as we talk about this, the uh, British East India Company is uh, a shred of what it once was, at least outward. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Great Britain isn't calling the shots today, or are they? Well, the, the key is, I guess, <clears throat> uh, when, when in the late 1800s, Cecil Rhodes was put out there as a frontman to further this British Empire ideal, this Commonwealth of the world. And uh, Cecil Rhodes and Lord Rothschild, who owned the Bank of England at the time, uh, were the founding members of, of this uh, uh, Rhodes Foundation for Rhodes Scholarships. Uh-huh. And they trained people to go out into other countries and, and doors would open wide for them and they'd become high bureaucrats or political leaders in all different countries working for global union on this democratic principle, as they called it, which meant the British system. And uh, they were a secret society initially modeled after the Jesuits they used Jesuit techniques and that's in Cecil Rhodes' own memoirs and his own uh, biography Uh, it's worth a a read and what they said was they would take over countries and uh, they they would take them over by military force if need be and they would install the same type of puppet regime as Britain had uh, for politicians and bureaucrats and they would not leave those countries and they were, until they, had, they, were, they fully implemented the same democratic system. Then they'd pull out, knowing they'd set up a, a duplicate of their own, basically. Which, of course, describes everything we're hearing George W. say about Iraq. It's exactly day. the same, exactly the same. And, uh, of course, from the, 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 the Council for the, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which they also founded, uh, Britain is the, the grandparent of all these organizations. Uh, the Cecil Rhodes set up the Royal Institute of International Affairs. All Commonwealth countries, British Commonwealth countries like Canada, has, we have a Canadian uh, um, International Affairs. Australia has one, New Zealand, India has one, and a few others. All non-Commonwealth countries in the 1930s, uh, 1920s were given the term Council on Foreign Relations. Mm-hmm. But it's the same club, and they work together. I have their books going back to the 1930s. The, now, the, yeah. the secret society that Rhodes and his ilk founded, did it have a name? 
they called it uh, the Round Table initially. Okay. They also called another part of it. It was, it was specialized subsections. It was called um, one part was called the Kindergarten, where they would get young men entering university from no- noble families, especially, and they would train them up to be the future leaders of the world. Some of them would be taught to be revolutionaries. They would use the Ivy League universities in Britain and and in America uh, to foment the world plan. And um, in Britain, they have, of course, initiation rites at Oxford for the for the elite. It's the professors who also pick the student to be a, an inner member of this Masonic group, and they call themselves the, the Oxford Circle. Uh, Cambridge is called the, the Apostles Club. Now, when you mention Masonic group, uh, are any of these groups tied directly to Freemasonry? Yes. Mm-hmm. And is that just in their beliefs in terms of why would Freemasonry come into this? Freemasonry, again, was was created... um uh, modern-day Freemasonry, it always existed. It always existed for thousands of years for noble classes. But it wasn't given to a middle class until they needed a middle class uh, to build up the Industrial Revolution in Europe. Uh, then they gave lower orders, which is loosely called Freemasonry, uh, to make sure that the middle classes would, would, would keep and work for this and give oaths towards keeping the system on the go. Uh, but prior to that, had been kept uh, strictly within uh, the high noble orders, the, the aristocracy. There were a lot of secret societies in the you know 1700s, 1800s, uh, Rosicrucians, things like that. Yeah. Did all of them tie together, or did yes. Freemason? Okay, so uh, uh, you know you hear about Rosicrucians today, but clearly that's not the same deal that you can send away for your la- your pamphlets. I mean, <laughs> yes, that's right, that's right. Well, even yet, in fact, the Rosicrucian movement, which is in Pennsylvania there... Well, it was. Now it's in San Jose. San Jose. Well, I mean... Uh, yeah, the, the Lewises who are now long dead, but yeah, they started uh-huh. it in Pennsylvania. That's right. Well, I've got an old book. It was given out for their, I think it was their 1920 uh, convocation, the Great Convocation, it was called, uh, held on a property on the, where they have the, the Philosophic uh-huh. Club and put all their books out. And now these, these books are for all Masonic societies, uh-huh. but the man who ran that at the time was Clymer. And Clymer was a, a Rosicrucian, but he said, I summoned the Blue Lodge of Masonry, I summoned uh, the Eastern Star Lodge of Masonry, I, I, I just I summoned all the other branches to come to this convocation, convocation and they came which tells you that it wasn't a, a lowly order. And, of course, John Dee himself in the 1500s, Francis Bacon was also a member. And uh, so they were the real guys who kicked it off. For this part of the agenda, you, you're right, it's much, much older. Right, and it seems like it's uh, it's like a bullseye. There's circles of, uh, of knowledge, uh, much like the Council of Foreign Relations or any of them. You know, mm-hmm. when you're on the periphery and, yeah, you're a member, but you're not in the inner circle, you're not going to get the same information. Mm-hmm as the guy standing in the bullseye because again you know you can you can uh, read all about freemasonry or you can go ahead and join the rosicrucians and you're not you're mm-hmm. not going to get in the mail the pamphlet of how to take over the world that's correct <laughs> yeah. and in fact it was albert pike who was uh, he he led the scottish right of freemasonry mm-hmm. in charleston he wrote the book morals and dogma he he was called the pope of freemasonry for the world in his day and he laid the agenda out there for the world uh, 
And what is the agenda? Uh, he said, well, we've got to remember what Freemasonry teaches their, their higher. See, life begins at 40. That's where the term comes from, the 40th degree, not the 33rd degree. Right. And so you don't get you don't get into the truth until you hit the fortieth degree. And and I assume that uh, when we're talking about the Masons of today, the guy who's a Shriner, he's a thirty third degree Mason. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is that this is a whole other ball game that uh, uh, the rank and file are unaware exists. Yes, it's a sifting process where where if you, for instance, in a small town had a little newspaper where you could influence public opinion, then you'd be tapped on the shoulder, brought out from the lodge you're in, the blue lodge, and, and brought out to another lodge. Okay. And and then they'd shoot you up the top, you see, because now you help to control people's minds and thoughts. So when you're on a 40th degree, what what's their guiding principles? And they're, they're, once again, it, it, it breaks through. See, all the Masons up to the 33rd are taught one thing, which they do believe, and that is they're all illumined. It's nonsense that Weishaupt was the first Illuminati. Uh, the Illuminati in the Oxford Dictionary, first in England, started popping up its head in, in the 12th century AD. So um, these, are, these are the same guys under different uh, lodges popping their heads up in different countries down through history, uh, fulfilling their part of the agenda. And... Um, Sure, but let's face it, the rank and file, the guy who's going to his lodge meetings mm -hmm. and doing good and, you know, having a hospital drive, yeah. uh, most of these individuals have no more clue to mm -hmm. the New World Order than they do about, you know, invading foreign planets. That's correct. Yeah. And what they do is create a nice uh, front uh, of charity, mm -hmm. which, and, and Albert Pike said that in his own book, Morals and Dogma. He said the low-degree Masons are no different than the profane, meaning the general population, right. the, the base ignorant population. That's what profane, profane means. And so they're being used as well. And it's very hard to attack mums up apple pie, if you know what I mean. Well, of course it is. And again, the individuals who will defend it to the death have nary a clue that this could be possible because their entire experience with the organization is mom's apple pie. That's in, right. In the, in the best sense of the word. And so that's why mm -hmm. I always like to bring that out, that this is not, you know, knocking the guy who's going to his lodge and, you know, mm -hmm. helping a hospital. It's not about that at all. Mm -hmm. There's... Uh, there's something above it, a subset, uh, that is uh, is fascinating to start to look at. So here we are, let's say the 40th degree, however you get there, however you're chosen, you, you got in, and now what do you discover? Then you discover that, that not only are you uh, basically uh, an illumined one, you're, you're, you're now into godhood. You're a god. What does this mean, though? I mean, what, what is the goal? Okay, so I'm a god. Mm -hmm. What's my goal here? The god is to reconstruct the world in the way it should have been reconstructed. And what they say at that degree is that masonry is there to perfect that which was left imperfect, which is man and society and the world itself, everything. What's their version of perfect? Perfect is a world where there is no free choice for, for the profane, the masses of people, and anything and that the world should be run on an economic principle of necessity where no one should be born without a function to fulfill to serve the world state. Good luck. And, and that's where we're heading today with so much regulations, laws, and bureaucracies. We can hardly turn around right now with, with, without permission. 
Now, at the same time in the late 1800s that this was really coming to fruition in terms of trying to have impact in, in the real world rather than just talking about it, you also had movements coming up like uh, the, the Fabians, who on, yeah. the, uh, on outside at least seemed to be avowed socialists. How does that tie in? Yeah, well, here's an odd thing. If you read uh, uh, the, one of the founders books uh, by Bertrand Russell Lord Bertrand Russell fascinating man um, long lineage of aristocracy and royalty uh, he was uh, mainly a mathematician but he put many books out there on philosophy and to do with the goal the world agenda and he was sent over by the British royalty to help um, create the beginnings of communism in China back in the 1920s and he taught in universities there, got the students picked out. Uh, later they were trained. They became the first leaders of co the Communist Party for China. And this was funded by the, the, the British uh, government. Uh, you know, it's interesting, of course, because communism is no different than what we're discussing. It's, it's complete mm -hmm. and total control of the masses. So whether it's mm -hmm. fascism or communism, so from Same that thing. standpoint, I guess what we're saying is that the Fabians told a nicer fairy tale about doing the same thing. They did to the public, however, uh, in Lord Bertrand Russell's book, his biography, he tells you about his co-members, the other founders, and one of them was H.G. Wells, who, who's, who's known for his novels, but, but he wrote more non-fiction books about the agenda than anybody else of his period. And, and the, the webs, there was Sidney and Beatrice Webb. Uh, Beatrice was, uh, her, real, her maiden name was Potter, Beatrice Potter. It's a well-known name, too. Yes, as in Harry Potter, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and, and the Beatrice Potter stories for children. But uh, the Fabian Society, whose, whose uh, logo was a wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, Bertrand Russell describes the webs. He said the main founders, and he said these people did not believe in the rights of, of, of the people whatsoever. They believed that the, the people had to be ruled by the strong hand of a, of, of a, a superior elite in government. Which is what communism really is. And, you know, as we're talking about, you're mentioning going into China. Well, of course, when we talk about Marx and Engels, you're also talking about British subjects going mm -hmm. into Russia and their idea of the dictatorship of the proletariat never ended. It never ended. And, of course, the quickest way to, to unify a big a block, which was a, uh, of Russia and many other smaller countries, the fastest way was to bring in a totalitarian system, force the same system of bureaucracy, schooling, education and so on on them and once you have a, a parallel almost to the British system then once again you, you take away the force and, and suddenly they're all supposedly free but they're really just clones of what Britain wanted they unified that mass country mass area uh, of small countries into one one system now, you see, as you say that, this is one of the things that we talk about a lot here is when the, you know, all the walls came down and the Soviet Union breaks up, you would think that if we truly were interested in seeing other capitalistic countries thrive, mm -hmm. that our aid would have gone to Russia, to these people who, like you say, they were indoctrinated to the point that uh, they were not free even when they were free. Mm -hmm. And, of course, what's come in is gangs, and what's also come in is people saying, bring back communism. And, of course, we leave them to flounder. Mm -hmm. So I assume that was by design. 
Absolutely, it's, it's by design. Uh, Cecil Rhodes and, and the boys in the, in the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the CFR uh, planned the century out from the beginning of the 1900s right through actually into the present days. And I have the, the minutes of their meetings. Wow. Uh, of the, they have world meetings. And, and the one in 1938, I think it was, it was in 1937, published 1938. They, they, the, the Royal Institute and the CFR met in Australia and it has all the members from America and Canada and all over who attended and all the bankers too of course and uh, and, the, the, and the speeches say, went on to say there will be global government uh, and the only uh, problem was what exact date they should fix on it and and they, they went through the whole agenda for the rest of the century including the coming world war with Germany uh, how they must save the Soviet Union at all costs and then and then yeah and Did they pick a date for domination for world domination yeah they wanted uh, they wanted um, basically a united world government in place uh, around 2010 12 but the unification of britain had to be first to be done in the 1990s um, the unification of the Americas by 2010 and the Pacific Rim around the same time the chaos would still ensue as all these peoples moved around vast amounts of people moved from, from through borderless countries and then the United Nations would take over as the arbitrator of peace you see alright hang on and Alan Watt is with us and boy we're going to pick it up we're going to talk about the, the League of Nations and the UN and the Federal Reserve and a lot more and it will start to make sense. And so when you're saying, why would they be doing this? Well, it's long in the plan.